0: Talti took a photo of me when you know after being newly shaved. The response was crazy, so I was like, "Oh wow!" You know what? It made me feel a way. I was like, "I would love to photograph some of the butterflies." Breast cancer, it isn't pretty.
1: It's is ugly, and at times you feel ugly while you're going through. Being a part of the photo shoot, it got a chance to capture the beauty outside, but remind me how beautiful I am inside as well.
2: <laughs>
0: you might not feel as womanly or as beautiful as you are, but us looking at you, different story.
3: Welcome to episode number 23. 23? <laughs> of...
2: What's
4: Brewing I'm Shelly. I'm Bianca. And I'm Diana. And here we come together to start the brew. Absolutely. We are
3: back and rocking our pink...
4: Yes. <laughs> So, as we know october is breast cancer awareness month yes. so we dedicate this episode to the survivors to the thrivers to those who are currently in treatment especially those newly diagnosed and those who have transitioned on and gained their heavenly wings yeah. so we have a number of guests today we're super excited about the show we're gonna get right into it so first introduction is tasha Joyner
3: tasha c Joyner was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2003 when her son was only eight months old 19 years later tasha continues to thrive and bring vision to a culture that looks only skin deep the removal of a breast has many challenges for a woman after five years of treatment Tasha wanted to thank her husband for honoring his vow of, in sickness and in health, by presenting him with a portrait of love. Charles decided to be in the picture with her to show the power of love. This picture launched a campaign of celebrating life after cancer, and the Tasha C. Joyner Foundation was born. The Tasha C. Joiner Foundation is a not-for-profit organization founded in 2008. Its primary mission is to empower, inspire, and encourage survivors to celebrate life by reducing the barriers in their treatment options. TCJF helps newly diagnosed women make informed healthcare decisions by being an advocate for them and identifying gaps in service delivery by offering viable solutions and options during treatment plants. The Tasha C. Joyner Foundation delivers the message that the breast does not define a woman and the foundation is designed to redefine beauty, to let every woman know that just because they have lost their breasts, they are no less of a woman. Their beauty is the shell that carries them through this life. It is their spirit that makes them who they are. oh my <laughs> that was <a> beautiful introduction <laughs> oh my
5: gosh i'm like who is that woman
4: <laughs> well we're so happy that you're here with us today tasha i can't thank you enough um i, I think i've told you before but i had a friend whose name spelled one letter different to yours who uh gained her heavenly wings from breast cancer just a few weeks after i was diagnosed and It was just like so ironic that your names were spelled so close together one letter difference which l and the t is the same name and um it was just like a reminder to me that god is always present so even when Mm -hmm. our sisters take flight there's always another sister to you know keep us grounded so thank
2: you
5: (laughs) thank you diana thank you
3: And and we actually want to give you a special thank you as well, because um, basically a little bit more of Deanna's story. She kind of got all her friends together, family as well, and let us know about the news. So um, we, even though it was pretty heavy news, um, we felt like there are so much things that we don't know. So we were so glad that she found you guys. Um, and was able to connect with you because there were things that we couldn't tell her that you guys could. Yeah. So we're just so thankful that she had the butterflies in her corner this entire process because I think it helped to keep her fighting for sure.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just before we bring up the other ladies, Tasha, can you just tell us a little bit in your own words what inspired you to um, use your story to help others?
5: Wow. Um- As you mentioned, my baby was eight months old when I was diagnosed, so I did not have the outlet when I was first diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Um, I came home after surgery, after a nine-hour surgery, I came home to a newborn baby, I came home to visitors, I came home to reading mail and cards, but I did not have a chance to fully emotionally, psychologically, and mentally heal from what i experienced and with that said after taking that portrait that you displayed i said you know we need to do something for newly diagnosed women so they can have an outlet yeah and hence the retreat house was born and the butterflies was born because of the metamorphosis of losing your hair and losing weight and gaining weight and and just having a plethora of things going on in your mind you're going through a metamorphosis so that's what inspired me to make sure that every woman who gets diagnosed, who are looking for a place to retreat, they have a place to come within the butterfly
4: garden.
6: That's yes. amazing.
4: Yeah. And we so need it and so appreciate it. Yeah. One other thing I'll mention is that it was my aunt who connected me to Tasha. Um, she sent me a message after that family Zoom and said, can I share your information with my friend? I was resistant. I sat on it for a month. But I, I'm so glad that I you know, decided to allow her to extend my information to Tasha. And then like, once we started talking, it felt like I've known her my whole life. So yeah. <laughs> thank you, Tasha. Yeah. Um, next, we're going to introduce a very special butterfly. Um, she's actually an honorary butterfly, but we'll just let the uh, introduction let you know who she is. Yolanda Ross actress writer director producer and all-around spectacular talent is a native of Omaha Nebraska an independent film darling Yolanda made her feature film debut in the award-winning film stranger inside in 2001 she has a long list of accolades and work that exhibit her talents and strengths as the phenomenal being that we have come to know, love, and cherish. When Yolanda learned that her character Jada, the no-nonsense single mother of the critically acclaimed Showtime series, The Shy*, created by Lena White, was going to be diagnosed with breast cancer, she immersed herself in the fight against breast cancer. She decided to learn all that she could about black women and breast cancer. What started out as research for the show inspired the beauty is me project and Yolanda got deeply involved in Chicago's women of color breast cancer survivor community. She collaborated with three remarkable Chicago organizations that support women's health. While oh, Yolanda does not have breast cancer, she has elevated the voices of women walking this journey daily. She is an honorary butterfly, Miss
0: Yolanda Ross. Good morning, Yolanda. <laughs> <laughs> that was crazy. I, was like, geez. I mean, y'all, I was not expecting that. Yana, who told me? You didn't tell me you was a producer. (laughs) (laughs) I
4: am not. That would be Shelly. (laughs) Shelly is our (laughs) marketing and (laughs) (laughs) graphic designer, all those things, (laughs) not me. Wow.
0: (laughs) She kept quiet while I was putting that event together, but I couldn't. I did, I
3: like to stay out of the way.
0: (laughs) Wow. Y'all are amazing this is this is really this is really really nice um it is so i don't know like y'all are stuck with me i'll just say that <laughs> y'all are stuck with me it's
3: um, a good place to be stuck yeah
0: right. yeah you know like good company de- definitely i mean i feel like i got five sisters you know what i mean and um you know it's it's like we weren't born together. This art brought me to you guys and literally y'all being open enough to, you know, trust me, you know, with with, with, with you, with your image, with your bodies, with your, you know, with your everything, to photograph you and to, to do this whole thing. Um, you know, I, I thank you. I thank you all for letting me just be with you.
4: Yes. And Yolanda, I was like only a few months out of surgery. Like, I actually didn't have breasts during that event, but, you know, I have fillers to make it look like I have breasts at the time. I was completely flat. So I was definitely like in a very vulnerable space, but you really helped me to be comfortable with my discomfort and, you know, see the beauty, you know, and the power of makeup and <laughs> costume. It's like,
0: <laughs> I mean, it, to me it was it was fun i was super stressed because i was like you kept letting me know you had to be out at a certain time I was like, okay <laughs> out of here da da because da, da, da. i wasn't trying to take up people's time make them late for work do any of that kind of stuff um but it was just like it was amazing just to see everybody just sort of like transform and take it on i mean y'all were just like killing it you know what i mean just killing it it was just like i don't know i really couldn't think of any other title but beauty is me because when i think of the photos think of how y'all looked in the room just just what y'all were giving it was just like wow wow you know (laughs) i i still just beautiful just beautiful
4: if you could just give our audience our brew crew as we affectionately call our audience members uh Yolanda, just talk about what happened. How how the getting into character snowball into the entire Beauty is me project?
0: Um, so you know, it's like when I do work, I want to make sure I'm doing uh, portraying people accurately. And um, you know, for me as far as our show The Shy, it was the first time I really got to get into something, you know what I mean, as far as character. So uh, you know, I lost people to cancer, lost aunt, I lost uh, a dear friend, and I knew some things, but I didn't know a lot of little things, you know? Um, so I wanted to talk to women and be around women that had gone through or are gone, were going through um, that journey. Um, because, you know, when people write stuff for a TV show or film or whatever, they, you know, sometimes don't put all the details in our show, you know, it's a show. So you got an hour, you got 40 minutes to get a bunch of characters like stories out, and they're not going to go into a lot of details, you know, so I wanted to make sure I was able to physically um, do as much as I could or add to it wherever I could to make sure that Black women who were going through this, women in general, but Black women specifically saw themselves. Because,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I'm sorry, as far as TV, I don't know of any other characters that really were going through it that I've seen go through it in a real way. Because I didn't want to just. One day, you know, have a scarf on my head, and then by the end of the episode, take the scarf off. Suddenly, all my hair is there, and da 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 da. it's like I wanted it to be real, you know, um, because that's 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 life changing. That's mm-hmm. life changing. So, as much as I could find out, um, you know, I started with uh, Melissa Simon at uh, I think it's Northwestern. And she got me in touch with everybody, everybody. So I was like, you know, and this was also during like the beginnings of COVID. So it was a kind of funny time with meeting up with people, you know, in person. Um, I was able to come down to Tasha's event, and so I did that, and um, you know, and and got in touch with Tasha and. Everything and it was it was really great to be amongst the women and then like all the women that were online because there were only a few in the room, mm-hmm. so many women online and just hear the questions. You know, just like w- what you were saying before, it's like, like maybe you know, even though you're going through it, you don't know everything, and then like your family members might not know everything how to deal with certain things, and you know, Tasha's. Um, butterflies they just there is such a wealth of information there and people helping each other because they know which doctors to go to who does what you know what people to see to help you get into people you know all that kind of stuff um because i mean it's not every day people get diagnosed but when you do that's a huge shock
2: absolutely
3: I think one thing that stood out for me when Deanna was going through this journey is she asked for a second opinion. And so I think that's one hidden factor in this as well. Like women don't realize that, hey, you don't have to deal with the first doctor that's giving right. you the diagnosis. Mm-hmm dive into it a little bit more and learn more, I guess, about the topic, see what other options you have out
6: there. And that, too, was a surprise to me. And I'm like, what do you mean, second pain? The doctor (laughs) said you need to do whatever, whatever. And she was like, no, I'm going to this person. I'm going to see this person. I'm going to weigh my options and see who's going to work for me. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times in the health field, and this is definitely a topic for another day, too, that they don't give you the same type of care and treatment um, as a black woman, and your pain isn't felt as a black woman in the health industry.
2: Yeah. So
6: a lot of times, a lot of women suffer, a lot of black women suffer in the healthcare industry because they're <laughs> not getting the right treatment or the the same treatment as their uh, yeah. white counterparts. Right. Sure.
4: Well, often we're just not heard. Um, sometimes. Uh, you express a symptom and it's kind of brushed off and dismissed, mm-hmm. and you're not even given the right test right away or you're misdiagnosed. But yes, being that I work on the insurance side of healthcare, I actually ended up with three opinions because my first, second opinion, I didn't like the attitude of the doctor. So that <laughs> they got fired real quick. Um, so it was, but I asked the first doctor if it was your mother, your sister who would you trust to give them a second opinion and and she happened to be an African-American woman if she hadn't been a part of the team that I ultimately went with I would like could have had her as the oncologist but her additional team members just didn't sit well with me so um, but she gave me the institutions that she would trust her family members to go to and she broke it down for me like this facility you're going to see the actual doctor this facility you're going to see a lot of residents and um assistance but if you want that personal relationship with your doctors i would recommend going this route so i certainly appreciate her and i found the right team so that's
2: that's what was most important
0: but see that in itself is something a lot of times we don't go through that process and that's huge because you know it's, it's like like your friend said there it's like Sometimes we just take first opinions. It's like, no, let's just, uh, let's ask somebody else as well. We gotta take that time because we are that important. it's you know, not something to play with. You know, your health, your life. So, you know, I, I what you just said, as far as, as doctors not paying attention to our, you know, our symptoms, what we're saying, that's something that became a whole big topic as I got to know you know, everybody and started to get more into the healthcare, um, what women were going through as far as like seeing doctors for this or for anything. Um, I literally just like a woman hit me up uh twenty-eight year old. She went to the doctors and they thought she had like a digestive problem. It ended up being colon cancer. And it's like nobody was looking. Nobody mm-hmm. like you said, nobody giving you the right tests. Nobody's really, really like trying to find out what the problem is. They just diagnose you with something and send you home. Yeah. And, um, that's something that really became clear is a huge problem with healthcare.
3: care. Yeah. So, yeah, so best to ask questions. I have a question <laughs> for both you and Yolanda. In regards to um, the process when you, uh, Yolanda, shave your hair, uh, what was that like for you, Tasha, the hair loss process of breast cancer?
5: So um, fortunately for me, I did not lose my hair. I did not have to have chemotherapy where you go through the traditional forms of losing your hair. However, I took five years of medication called Tamoxifen, which had different side effects from the chemo. It's an oral chemo. So without losing my hair, what happened to me is I developed cyst all over my ovaries that ruptured I developed uh, my teeth loosened from my gums Mm -hmm. and I developed a small bowel obstruction Mm -hmm. so those who lost their hair to chemo that was their side effects my side effects was taking oral chemo Mm -hmm. with the um, side effects that I just mentioned
3: wow and Yolanda, did you did you go back and forth with that decision to shave your hair on the show or um uh, was it you was it like you made up your mind and that's what you were gonna do for the character
0: it was um it was a mixed thing because when they first told me about it you know i wanted to see how supportive the show was um with you know, because it's like, I'm still an actor, so I gotta get jobs afterwards. And I'm not used to not having hair. And, you know, the world of entertainment is not used to that either. So I just wanted to see how supportive they were with the after helping me afterwards with things. And it was, it came down to, I held off for a moment and as we were doing the season, and then our um our hair person who lost two sisters to breast cancer, she just called me one day and asked, and I was like, Yes. So then it was like, you know, there was like no thought, and then it was just yes. You yeah. know, just like that. Because at that point I was going through the motions of to make sure that black women saw themselves truthfully. You know, so that all Together, just made it happen. To bring up the next butterfly,
6: Miss Jeanette Kaywood. Kaywood is a Chicago native. Her journey with breast cancer began in 2012 at the age of 33 with a stage four breast cancer diagnosis. Instead of allowing her diagnosis to take control, Jeanette took the reins and began to control the narrative of her own journey. In ways of advocacy work and mentoring others, also going through a diagnosis, Jeanette has learned through her journey with cancer. This story isn't about her; it's about inspiring others. Good morning. How Good are you? Morning. Staying?
1: Thank you. Thank you for that beautiful intro. I loved it.
2: <laughs>
4: and thanks for joining the conversation. Um, Can you just
1: uh, remind our audience of your initial diagnosis? My initial um, diagnosis was ten years ago on Monday, which is wow. Yeah,
2: it's
1: a lot of emotions happening with me right now. So if I start tearing up, just let me (laughs) just go with it. (laughs) Okay, we're all friends. We're sitting in our virtual. um, It was um, (laughs) ten years ago, and it was stage four from the beginning so once i went in the um the prognosis wasn't good the cancer had already spread to my liver and to my spine so it was um a thing where everything had to be reactive and we had to move quick with um procedures and treatments as far as what we wanted to do so going in like before the story actually began a few years before i was actually diagnosed i went in went in because i knew i had a lump in my breast but it was really small I, w- I was barely 30 at the time and i went in and i just got an ultrasound and because i was not 30 i didn't get a mammogram they didn't suggest it and nor did i think about it because i was so young at the time and breast cancer doesn't run in my family so i never thought like it can be cancerous right. so fast forward a couple of years after that the lump had gotten larger and i went back in again to get another um ultrasound and I was pretty much told the same thing by the primary physician it was just a cyst so I was told it was just a cyst I was told to schedule an appointment for outpatient to go in and have the cyst drain and everything should be fine and then follow up later and how it happened was I went in for outpatient to have it drained and as soon as I took off my shirt without even touching me the doctor there she looked at me and she's like no that's not a cyst so that day october 24th <laughs> 10 years ago my life completely changed that same day i went in by myself they sent me in for they sent me down for a mammogram which i had never had one an ultrasound and a biopsy all in, within that same day so imagine thinking you just want to have this procedure done i had stuff planned afterwards and you hear this news so it was the the most devastating day thus far
3: yeah for sure i I, one thing that touched me for sure about your story is it's kind of like all of the worst news that you could think it's like it's not stage one it's stage four you know it's like what what else do i have to go through but i just feel your story is going to help so many women because if it's the same story or a similar story it's like well if she was able to make it through i know that i will be able to make it through too um so i just find that so beautiful about about your story so thank you for sharing that with our audience
4: and shanette definitely did not let that the prognosis stop her from mm-hmm. living tell us some of the things you've done over the last 10 years <laughs> <laughs> uh i know you took a trip you've taken multiple trips you started running like oh, cool. let, let let our audience know how you've been living
1: I've been controlling the narrative. That's how I've been getting through um, my kids. say I'm controlling, but they're going <laughs> to say that I'm supposed to control you. <laughs> so I had to kind of um, grab the reins and, and run with it. I started being more active. I do, I joined a running group where I was actively in treatment, Um, had to change my mindset to more positive thinking. I had to get rid of anything that brought me stress that, you know, made me unhappy. It was just a complete lifestyle, physical. It was a physical and mental change. So I started um, I became a mentor because for me, helping others, talking to them, getting through it helped in a weird kind of way. It helped me feel better about what I was going through, knowing that for me, it was it was a purpose. It wasn't for me, it was about me, but this story, and I still say this to this day, it, it was never about me. It was for other people to see how my journey ends and what, what's become of me through the journey. I actually took a two-week trip to South Africa, going through cancer because, you know, there is it's a stigma. And when they see you with cancer, they just think the worst. It's like, you know, they don't want to talk to you. They don't want to befriend you. You're considered um, just something horrible as if it's your fault. So just going there, being on that journey, going in hospitals, sitting with patients while they were getting, while they were get, receiving their treatments, and even visiting homes of people in South Africa, just sitting there and listening to their stories and praying with them and talking to them, it really gave me a complete sense of purpose about my life, and it made me realize, you know, how selfish we can be as certain um situations
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i just became more open to everything and just more exposed to so much more within this life and everything that i had that i had been through inside this counselor journey yeah it's so powerful.
6: and the the power the power i take from that is you didn't stop living you yeah. decided hey whether it's called the kids think it's control or not you know you definitely said i'm gonna take life by the horns and i'm gonna you know still live and do everything that i want to do yeah. um and then here we are 10 years later yeah. right. and
1: so. the trip to doing that's on a lot of people radar and it was never on my radar and i didn't know anyone there that i went with it was with the group so oh. i flew there by myself and when i got there i met up with 15 people strangers at that time but now they're like family
2: Mm-hmm. and when I
1: told people what I were doing especially my grandmother are you crazy you want to know what <laughs> and for what I'm like I have to do it I just knew I would be okay but even from that moment I was diagnosed and I left the hospital and I hit the floor I, I blacked out people always ask me how did you know you was going to be okay I can't explain it but something within me just told me you got this and you're going to be okay yeah. and I that's always been in the back of my mind even now through the worst of times you know when I go through my moments I always it's something in me that tells me I'm gonna be okay and I just keep going with that I keep going with that through anything stressful I just have that in the back of my mind this time is coming and it's going and you're going to be okay
2: Mm -hmm. yes
4: it's testament to that you know man's extremities is just God's you know possibilities like just getting started like the diagnosis and the prognosis that is based on science and facts and all of those things but you know we know that there's a difference between facts and truth that's something my spiritual leaders taught me that the facts are the facts yes this is the diagnosis is the prognosis but the truth is that God has his own timing that man cannot define so you can give me whatever prognosis you want if i still got work to do i'm still gonna be here you yeah. know until god says come on in like mm, you know exactly. so we, exactly. we are you know here with you to celebrate the 10 years yeah the, the next 10 years and the next ten the next years, years, so. <laughs> yes. right yes we just
3: went to vegas so we gotta, we gotta- Take it up a <laughs> <laughs> bigger.
4: So we have a couple more ladies to bring up. Uh <laughs> next we're gonna bring up Miss Adrian Upchurch. Adrian Upchurch warrior and survivor. Adrian's breast cancer diagnosis showed up during the height of COVID nineteen when you could not bring anyone to the hospital with you. Adrian was alone but not afraid. It will be two years in December from walking this precarious journey of double mastectomy, chemotherapy, and subsequent reconstruction surgery. Adrian sees herself as merely being a vessel. Her story has ushered in a season of light and love and she remains an open book for women and some men who have to make the tough decisions and press their way to the best outcome for a healthy recovery. Adrian knows that she is blessed with a strong and supportive village, and she is grateful every day. Adrian Upchurch.
7: Good morning, Adrian. Good morning, butterflies. Good morning.
6: <laughs> Thank you for joining us.
7: Thank you so much for for the invite. It um, October is, is certainly a heightened awareness month. Um, and and as Shanette mentioned, so full of emotions, there's highs and lows. Um, so I'm happy to be here with everyone this morning.
2: Yeah, And so we're
4: happy you're here with us. And I know you can remember our gala and preparing for it, me and Adrian were like,
2: we're the rookies on this oh poster. my god <laughs> we definitely
7: were i think the uh photo shoot was maybe four days after i rang the bell I had just finished chemo i literally slid out of the chemo chair right into the photo shoot so oh, it was wow. very, very, very trippy yeah yeah
4: <laughs> so adrian um tell us a little bit about how it's been now that we're we're not as a uh, rookie as we were during
7: the project <laughs> right right philly's so definitely more like a veteran um i would have to say that these last two years um i kind of call my journey a wheel in the middle of a wheels so the world was going through so um so much with covid and the unknown. And isolation, separation, um, a lot of trauma, and in between that was woven my little story. And I say my little story because I'm not unique in in any way. I was a woman who, you know, have breast cancer history on both sides of the family. Um, I had taken the BRCA test, so I knew that I had the gene mutation. My mom was a survivor. I had three first cousins all survivors and somewhere in the back of my mind, cause I've been getting mammograms and aggressive um, breast ultrasounds and, and MRIs since I was 30. Um, they recommended 10 years or so before, um, you know, my mom's diagnosis and she was diagnosed at 45. Um, and so for me, I always had considered myself a breast zealot. And when I got the call, monday after work i hadn't even taken my coat off and my doctor called i could tell in her voice i already knew and i immediately jumped to what stage is it and what's our plan um i'm very fortunate my breast surgeon is african-american woman and she had talked with me on so many levels about what happens in the jewish community with women the care that white women give so we had already had that rapport and it made such a difference in the trust factor because literally I couldn't have anybody with me. I only had my my surgeon. And um, in, in those moments, she was my sister, my, my pastor, my best friend, she had to be everything because I, I could take notes. But you know, when you are hearing that your life is altered for life, you're not taking copious notes. You can yeah. barely remember your own name. I, I'm like, oh, I hope I remember where I parked my car. I It's a lot, it's a lot that happens. Sure. Can I ask
0: you a question? Can you, can you and Diana, like say who your doctors are to let oh. people know, like, you know, cause that's a thing in itself. Like, who did you see, you know, since you both uh, seem like
7: you had trusted your doctors,
0: you know, oh, yes. when you went on,
7: on that journey. Well, definitely. For me, I see Dr. Jelma Patrick, and she is at a little company of Mary Hospital. Uh, OSF is their their new merger, and she's phenomenal. The I mean, aside from her bedside manner, definitely very knowledgeable and very proactive, um, very assertive in getting these tests, getting these labs, and, and checking up following up, having her team follow up. And so by the time I made the decision, um, immediately, I was stage one, the tumor was very, very small. But I made the decision to have double mastectomy. Um, Just from my mental standpoint, I knew that I just couldn't go through the anguish every six months of wondering, did they get enough tissue out? Is it going to come back? What are we going to do? So for me, we we ran with it. So from the date of diagnosis, I probably was in surgery. Maybe ten days later, ten days later. So Dr. Jim Patrick was um, was and is uh, definitely phenomenal.
2: Yeah,
4: um, for me, I got the initial diagnosis with uh, Loyola's Breast Cancer Center, um, Dr. Robinson. I believe her first name is Paula or Paulette. She is phenomenal. I would recommend those who. Uh, near or work with loyola has health system to see her she is a a african-american um
2: oncologist
4: oncologist, yes then i ultimately had my treatment with the university of chicago led by the surgeon there who's phenomenal dr Jakowziak. which i might say her name wrong but we call her dr j she was the first member of their team that i saw and she is amazing she definitely takes her time with her patients to give you the knowledge draw diagrams mm-hmm. write it out whatever works for you and she's she doesn't rush you through the process the oncologist there that i saw is dr nanda who's also phenomenal and my plastic surgeon was great too but she left uh university of chicago and um me and me and Jeanette actually had, the same, had the same care team yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah oh wow and i was initially um Jeanette, i'm sorry i forgot her name which one the surgeon the plastic surgeon
1: it was it dr garza
4: yeah dr garza. So garza yeah she now has she's now in private practice so she's still available she's just that with the university of chicago oh
1: wow yeah and i wasn't diagnosed at university of chicago i was diagnosed at rush and for me i didn't like the bedside manner of when I was told I was the first diagnosed to me, it was it was too casual. And there wasn't much compassion with it. Mm-hmm. And it just, I just wasn't feeling it. My my spirit yeah. and the vibe is just was it wasn't comfortable for me. And when I went to the University of Chicago, Dr. Nanda, as um, Deanna has stated, she's simply amazing. And I feel as though with her, it's um, it's not just a patient doctor relationship. She actually listens to you, and she tells you. She gives you her opinion, and let you decide on what's best. And the same with Doctor just just the, Skolviak, the um, the breast surgeon. The same. She draw her little diagram, send you home with stuff. It's like, oh, just think about it. You'll call me or text me with any questions. And then, for me, when it comes to the scans, most people when they have their scans, they don't get them back for a couple of days or you know a week with my position with the physicians there a lot of times before i've made it home they are my doctor is already emailing or letting me know the results are in and everything is looking good or if it's not looking good so just that alone is it meant a, a whole lot to me to have that care team that i feel is there 24 7 when you need them
4: yeah and i feel like dr j's memory is amazing like she remember everything I said, like even things I said about my family dynamics. Um, and I'm like, I know I'm not her only patient. So it's like, <laughs> how do you store all this information? But she's thorough and it's like, yeah. I, it's, she's amazing. I hope she doesn't retire anytime in the next <laughs> 300
2: years. <laughs> 300, 300 years. <laughs> 300 years.
6: <laughs> yeah, definitely is important. You know, as you guys were all speaking, I was just sitting here kind of like having a not an outer body experience. Like, if this was me mm-hmm. and I walked in, I had a lump and they said it was a cyst and you know, I'm going there, mind my business, got plans later. I'm going to lunch with my friends, whatever. How how would that how would I take it? Like that's just so that's just, you know, I don't even have words. Like I was just like, that these stories are just so powerful. And I, I think more women need to hear it because the problem is there's such a fear of doctors in our community of getting tested of getting your mammogram that a lot of people just don't do it they're like well if i don't do it i won't you know nothing bad is gonna happen to me if i just don't do it yeah and i just you know think it needs to be more you know talked about in our community so more people who just feel comfortable like you have a friend a girl i go with you like let's go together we can schedule on the same day you know and go in together and definitely like
4: for me i'm i'm you know naturally an introvert i really don't talk to people unless they talk to me i'm like a one-on-one conversationalist i'll talk to anybody one-on-one but i definitely don't like step up to be the one to be in front of the crowd but after being diagnosed like that same year i couldn't help it in october i was asking every random woman i came across like did you get your mammogram this year and i was openly sharing with them like i got diagnosed with my first routine mammogram i i was 40 years old nothing happened i wasn't feeling sick i didn't feel a lump i just turned 40. and it was during the pandemic so i didn't go right away because my birthday was in May, and I was like, "It's you know, it's sketchy at the hospital. I don't know if I want to be there. But I kept getting those reminders like you're overdue for your mammogram. So literally, the reason I got my mammogram, which was later in that November, was because I was getting an email from Loyola saying, hey, you missed your mammogram. And I just was like, I'm tired of nagging me about it. Let me just go ahead and do it. And I'm so glad I did. But when my primary care physician called me, um, she was like you know your mammogram came back uh it does look like you have breast cancer and i said dr renner who gets breast cancer on their first uh uh, mammogram she's like i know i said i do too because i looked it up less than one percent of people less than one percent She's like, I know, I was Like, and I would have to be a part of that number because why, why not? You know, yeah. so I, I immediately had the attitude of why not me versus why me. Um, and you're
2: exceptional. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so I was like, you know, and she knew that I had had thyroid cancer, which um, is a whole nother thing, but and and I think isn't something that's uh touched on enough either I'm finding out with the triple negative breast cancer community that a lot of women have that have triple negative breast cancer also have thyroid cancer now I am always you know doing things backwards I think all the other women that I've come across that said they had thyroid cancer they had breast cancer first thyroid cancer second but you know I had thyroid cancer first, breast cancer second, but I think there's still so much that's like not really unco- un- that's uncovered and um, you know hasn't been explored enough. Like, what's the connection between? Uh, or I-, I talked to a lady today, Tasha, that would be sending you her information for intake, that she had um, experienced a history of having boils under her arm. Only later to be diagnosed with breast cancer. I'm like, oh, I had that in my history too. Like, what are some of the interconnections that are not being discussed in the medical community that could be, you know, precursors or foreshadowing what's to come that could help even prevent or better treat these, you know, situations. So
5: if I may interject, my apologies, we are doing a a manual with the Tasha Joyner Foundation to identify precursors. So that's something that we're rolling out in 2023 with new programs that we're offering. Um, We were talking about that at our butterfly meeting um, on Thursday, new programs that we're rolling out. And one of the most important one is to know your body Mm -hmm. and those precursors, those signs, because just like you, Deanna, my first mammogram at 36 was when I was diagnosed. So you just have to know your body. Yolanda was asking me, um, I don't think we heard her, my doctors, and I'm going to be sensitive to time. Dr. Kruger at Christ Hospital, amazing woman, amazing. Now, again, 19 years ago for me, Dr. Kruger was always there. I had her home address. I had her Mm -hmm. home phone number. We would talk at midnight, two o'clock in the morning. And she was amazing. So
3: she's at Christ Hospital that will make women kind of say, especially because you guys are giving their doctor's names by name, it will make women say, well, I need you to be a little bit more like Dr. Garza. <laughs> You're not, you know, right. I'll, I'll seek care somewhere
6: else. So uh, Tasha, I, I want to ask this. So you mentioned knowing your body. What if you, how do you gain this voice of knowing your body and like speaking up to your doctor or doctors in, in general, I think I was just thinking about myself. Sometimes going to the doctor, it's like, well, I don't want to say this, you know. I don't yeah. want to talk about telling this, you know. How or, do you get over that? Yeah, how do you get over that? Because it's like you, you know, something could be wrong, but you know. Okay, you so doctor, tell you.
5: Have, this is your body. Your yeah. body. You make the decision. Legislature and law cannot make a decision on what you do with your body. You right. are in control. And just like Shanette was saying, she knew she decided to push through this and be a warrior and do everything. So when you're going into the doctor, you have to remember they are human just like you are, right? They went to school to do whatever they're doing. They're practicing, Mm
2: -hmm. but
5: you are the professional. Mm -hmm. So you go in there and you tell them this is happening. This is happening and this is happening. I need for you to look at this, check this out. Who do you recommend? Where can I go? I went to the doctor about three weeks ago. I had surgery three weeks ago. I went to the doctor and I told them I do not want to be a number. Mm -hmm. Don't just give me 20 minutes of your time because with COVID they're behind and they only give you 20 minutes. And I said no. I don't want to have to pay a copay again to come see you for something that I didn't get a chance to talk about in this visit. So we're going to sit down here. And we're going to talk about everything that I am experiencing with my body. And if you can't see me right now, give me someone who can. So you are in control. We're paying their their, their salaries.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We're
5: paying Our copay and our premiums to our insurance and our insurance is paying them through us. We're in control. So you gird up you go in there and you're the boss
4: Amen. That's yeah, how you feel like like their, their answer their bedside manner their demeanor if anything is off or doesn't sit well with you find another doctor yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and if you don't know how to do that uh talk to somebody who does help <laughs> you know get some help
0: actually. yeah you you
1: have to remember that and then even with me I um I took the initiative to switch up my treatment based on what I was feeling you know, one man, I've actually been on chemo since 2019, but I have to let my doctor know I'm feeling fine. My scans are good and I want to discontinue this and let's do scans every three months and see what happened. And because of the history, she was fine with that. She says, OK, if this what you if this what you want to do, we're going to try it and we tried it and I've been off, um, IB chemo since 2019 Now had I not had I not took that initiative to go in and say that it was scary because I had mm-hmm. to consider my health as well as my kids, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was taking a chance, but you know, my voice, I'm going to be okay. In the back of my mind, you're going to be okay. So I mm-hmm. have to just go out there and, and see and make that decision for me. And I'm grateful to have a doctor that listens to me versus, um dictating and telling me what exactly i need to do and we both came to an agreement and i've been off like i say that meds since 2019.
6: wow that's definitely incredible that was you know good information for anyone not not even just with breast cancer just you know navigating the medical field in general um because i think a lot of people just don't either a know how to use their voice or are afraid to um because they're you know like i said one diana said that i'm getting a second opinion and a third opinion, i was like well wait didn't mm-hmm. the doctor say you need to do this yeah. so you know why are you getting all these different opinions and i'm so glad she did and i learned so much from her just watching her journey of how you know you don't have to accept anything you're mm-hmm. you know you you she are in control. control yeah so i i definitely love that about your
4: journey i'm like okay i can do that <laughs> <laughs> i have a question to pose to yolanda bianca and Shelley. as being women who support women who have this diagnosis and going through this journey what advice would you give uh to someone on how to best support a loved one going through this cancer journey or specifically yolanda for artists who have the opportunity to emulate the lives of someone going through something how would you uh, what advice would you give someone to you know use their platform in support of
2: any type of you know cancer diagnosis or critical illness